reason this is called Lester and Hughes Dispensable Church, and you'll notice that Lester has already been dispensed with him. <laughs> what happened was that Lester's sister died, and uh, her children have no parents. So he has gone back to Houston to take care of them. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to work that out and fulfill the name of the church. Uh, but the reason that this is called a dispensable church, and I, I want to emphasize that because I know some of you have been calling it a disposable church. <laughs> the reason is uh, this quote from A Course in Miracles, that the function of the teacher of God is to make himself dispensable, which simply means that A Course in Miracles teaches that all we really need is God. We don't even need A Course in Miracles. So the function of A Course in Miracles and our function is simply to turn the person who seeks our help in whatever form they ask us, which may be uh, rudeness in a store or uh, maybe an in-law saying, Guess what? I'm coming to visit you. <laughs> it can be in any form that our help is asked, but our function is to make ourselves dispensable so that the individual can turn to his or her resource of strength. And so the church, of course, is dispensable. Now this... Church is church in name only. Uh, we have not incorporated, means we seek no tax-deductible status. It is completely voluntary. Everything that you see has been, I don't know if anyone saw this room before, what <laughs> uh, the people here uh, did to it, but everything that, that is done here will be done without payment. Uh, if someone spends some money on lumber, as Carol Stalin did, then uh, that will be reimbursed. But be completely voluntary. No one will receive any money. Sort of like AA. And we do have two little uh, contribution things. One of them is called a jerry. And it is named after a psychiatrist in Tiburon, California, who doesn't charge his patients. So that's for you. You'll see that over there. It has money in it already. And if there's anyone here that needs any money, please help yourself. If you would like. <laughs> so we're going to run this a little differently. Yeah. <laughs> If you would like to help someone out uh, who may be in need, uh, for example, a woman called me uh, a little while back. She was living in a uh, one of these big vans. She had her husband and her three kids. They had an argument. She was in Los Alamos. He literally kicked her out of the van and drove off. She had no idea 
if she would ever see them again. She had been wandering the streets for three days. Had nothing, literally, but her clothes. That's just one of many, many stories I could tell you that come on just the crisis line, crisis intervention. So there are people who genuinely need money. And I know we have a reluctance to give people money at times because we think that they should make their own way, but there are genuine instances where there's a legitimate need. So my promise to you is that any money you put in the open basket will be given to someone that we believe, through our prayer and our guidance, needs the money. So the little box with the slit in it is for our expenses. If you want to, if you don't want to, if you want to make sure that money goes for that, then you put it in there. So that's all there is about money. Now, Lester was our music. <laughs> and this church, I promise not to use profanity unless I'm quoting a president of the United States. But with Harry Truman and Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon, I've got lots to draw. And so I'm going to begin the service with a profane word, but it comes from Lyndon Johnson, who is a good old boy from Texas like me. What Lyndon Johnson actually said is that Gerald Ford was so dumb, he couldn't piss and chew gum at the same time. That's what he actually said. Because that's what all the good old boys in Texas say. Now what they say in Atlanta is, white people are so dumb, they can't clap and sing at the same time. And if you don't believe that's true, I will prove it to you a little later. Give you an opportunity to try to clap and sing at the same time. You'll see you can't do it. So we've got that. Uh, to look forward to in the form of music, and we have another song that uh, you all know. And then, after that, we'll have a moment of sharing, so that if anyone wishes to stand up on Thanksgiving Day and express his gratitude to God for anything that's happened, in any way that he's seen the presence or the love or the kindness of God, manifested in his life this year, uh, you'll have an opportunity to do that. Okay. So we're going to begin with Lesson 164, which you have in your hand. So I know this is too small to read, so I will read it to you. Then we'll discuss it, and then... I'll show you can't clap and sing at the same time. Now are we one with him who is our source? What time but now can truth be recognized? The present is the only time there is. And so today, this instant, now, 
we come to look upon what is forever there, not in our sight, but in the eyes of Christ. He looks past time and sees eternity as represented there. He hears the sounds the senseless, busy world engenders, yet he hears them faintly. For beyond them all, he hears the song of heaven and the voice for God more clear, more meaningful, more near. The world fades easily away before his sight. Its sounds grow dim, a melody from far beyond the world increasingly is more and more distinct, an ancient call to which he gives an ancient answer. You will recognize them both, for they are but your answer to your Father's call to you. Christ answers for you, echoing yourself, using your voice to give his glad consent, accepting your deliverance for you. How holy is your practicing today? as Christ gives you his sight and hears for you and answers in your name the call he hears. How quiet is the time you give to spend with him beyond the world. How easily are all your seeming sins forgotten and all your sorrows unremembered. On this day is grief laid by, for sights and sounds that come from nearer than the world are clearer to you, who will today accept gifts he gives. There is a silence into which the world cannot intrude. There is an ancient peace you carry in your heart and have not lost. There is a sense of holiness in you. The thought of sin has never touched. All this today you will remember. Faithfulness in practicing today will bring rewards so great and so completely different from all things you sought before that you will know that here your treasure is and here your rest. This is the day when vain imaginings part like a curtain to reveal what lies beyond them. Now is what is really there made visible, while all the shadows which appeared to hide it merely sink away. Now is the balance righted and the scale of judgment left to him who judges true. And in his judgment, will a world unfold in perfect innocence before your eyes. Now will you see it with the eyes of Christ. Now is its transformation clear to you. Brother, this day is sacred to the world. Your vision, given you from far beyond all things within the world, looks back on them in a new light, and what you see becomes the healing and salvation of the world 
the valuable and valueless are both perceived and recognized for what they are, and what is worthy of your love receives your love, while nothing to be feared remains. We will not judge today. We will receive but what is given us from judgment made beyond the world. Our practicing today becomes our gift of thankfulness for our relief from blindness and from misery. All that we see will but increase our joy because its holiness reflects our own. We stand forgiven in the sight of Christ with all the world forgiven in our own. We bless the world as we behold it in the light in which our Savior looks on us and offer it the freedom given us through his forgiving vision, not our own. Open the curtain in your practicing by merely letting go all things you think you want. Your trifling treasures put away and leave a clean and open space within your mind where Christ can come and offer you the treasure of salvation. He has need of your most holy mind to save the world. Is not this purpose worthy to be yours? Is not Christ's vision worthy to be sought above the world's unsatisfying goals? Let not today slip by without the gifts it holds for you, receiving your consent and your acceptance. We can change the world if you acknowledge that. You may not see the value your acceptance gives the world, but this you surely want. You can exchange all suffering for joy this very day. <clears throat> Practice in earnest, and the gift is yours. Would God deceive you? Can his promise fail? Can you withhold so little when his hand holds out complete salvation to his son? One thing I found about the lessons in the Course in Miracles is that they seem to say everything that you need to know. It's just that each lesson says it differently, puts it in different words. And this is certainly an example of this. Now what we will do this coming Sunday and every Sunday after is we will uh, begin at the beginning of the textbook and of the uh, Of the workbook so there will be uh, we'll just do the lessons in order so if you don't have a copy of A Course in Miracles all you have to do is attend this church for seven years <laughs> so let's look at some of the lovely lovely truths here very first sentence what time but now can truth be recognized a course in miracles says 
simplicity is very difficult for a confused mind to understand. It says, this course is so simple that you don't believe you can learn it. But you will find a way to make it complicated enough that you can learn it. <laughs> and that first sentence is so simple. How many times do we stumble over it as we go through the day? What time but now can truth be recognized? The present is the only time there is. At 3.30 tomorrow, it will still be now. Six years from now, at midnight, it will still be now. Now is the one thing that does not move. It is that place of peace and quiet. Now is another name for God. Because God is only now. When do we forgive? Now. When are we happy? Now. But we have, we all have such a deep distrust in being happy. We really think that something, something awful is going to happen to us if we allow ourselves to be happy. Notice this. We cannot allow ourselves to relax. We have to worry. We have to defend ourselves against five minutes from now, against tomorrow. We have to take out this grievance that we have against whomever. Like grandmother's great heirloom, we take it out, we open the box, we turn it this way and that way, and we polish it, this grievance, what this person did to us. We go over and over. We cannot allow ourselves to be happy. We cannot allow, allow ourselves to simply be comfortable, to say, I am where I am. Instead, on Monday, we walk out the front door, and we look up at the sky, and we say, why aren't you Friday? Why aren't you Friday? <laughs> and here we are at a party and we're talking to this person and we're looking over their shoulder. Why aren't you that other person over there? That's the one I want to be talking to. What time but now can happiness be experienced? It's so obvious, isn't it? Now, the next point that I see here is also so obvious. This is speaking of Christ. And those of you who may not be familiar with the Course in Miracles, it is channeled material. Like the Old Testament. Remember the, the image in the Old Testament of the prophets burn, burning their lips with a hot coal because they did not feel worthy to speak the words that were coming through them? That's called channeled material. That's a popular term now. That's all it means. The words come through you. That's why, of course, in miracles shows no author. It's written in the first person. And the first person is clearly Jesus. He hears the sounds the senseless busy world engenders. 
yet he hears me faintly. So this is the other mistake I think we make so often. We think we are supposed to have arrived. We think that we're supposed to be perfect. It's so clear that, that I don't know anyone, at least. I certainly can't not hear my ego. I can't not hear the voice of fear or hate or irritation or embarrassment or weariness. My ego still presents those premises to me a hundred times a day, a thousand times a day. The only difference is because I am four years old today it was four years ago that I that I decided that I would walk toward the light as best I saw it even if I were self-deceived and I thought I was I really thought I was self-deceived but I was just going to do it anyway that was four years ago the only difference between four years ago and now is I recognize the ego's voice a little sooner and I let it go a little more quickly. But I am so encouraged by that. I'm so encouraged by it. When I was in Hawaii recently, I gave someone $50 and said, would you write this card and send these lovely orchids and these lovely flowers to Gail, my wife? They said, oh yes, I'd be happy to do that. And they packaged them and they put them in water and they sent them airmail special delivery to Santa Fe. <laughs> How long did they sit there in the post office? <laughs> I don't know. One week, two weeks, three weeks. Finally, we got the notice. We went in. No, they'd lost them. Didn't know where they were. They'd call them. They found them. They called us and said they'd found them. We went in. Well, before four years ago, I would have had a large fit about that. And I probably would have tried to get someone's job. At least indirectly. At least would have implied great incompetence on the part of someone. The interesting thing is that Gail and I didn't even discuss that possibility this time. It wasn't even a consideration. Just got the flowers, put them in water. Many of the edges were black. Many of them were, were uh, quite dead. <laughs> now, I don't know. I'm not claiming a miracle here uh, because I don't know about the flowers in white. But did you know that those flowers came back and that the black edges went away? I didn't think the black edges could go away. And the orchids are so lovely and the little uh, red flowers and the pink flowers... It would have been a waste, a complete waste, to have gotten angry with that. Third point that I see here, 
Christ answers for you. Echoing yourself. Using your voice to give his glad consent. Accepting your deliverance for you. Christ gives you his sight and hears for you and answers in your name the call he hears. There's a uh, young lady on the front row that I like to quote. God does not make junk. This is so lovely. It's been said in all the sacred scriptures from Lao Tse to Buddha to Shankara to Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Everybody has said it. There isn't anything to do. It's all being done for us. The Bible says, I will fulfill that which is appointed you to do. Course in Miracles says the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do and then do it for you. AA, Al-Anon, Alateen, Parents Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Emotions Anonymous, you could probably add a hundred others. They're all based on this very simple premise. I can't do it, but there is something within me that can. It's so simple. How many times do we stumble over that one? So what is our job? It's to resign as our own teacher. It's simply to not interfere. We've been told that. How many times have we been told that? The oldest book in the world says it. Teaching. Stillness is the mountain. Our Bible says, be still and know that I am God. It's so interesting that here, following, Christ answers for you. Christ accepts your deliverance for you. Christ gives you his sight. Christ hears for you. Christ answers for you. There's about two paragraphs on stillness and quietness. That's all we're asked to do is not interfere. The only problem we make, that I make a hundred times a day, is I think there's something for me to do. I think there's something for me to figure out. There are really only two things we can do with our mind. One is framed in virtue. It has diamonds of earnestness in it. And that is to consider what we should do. How worthy that is to consider what we should do or should have done. Ego makes no distinction between considering what we should do and what we should have done. Because it activates the past as if it were taking place right now. And now we we are rewriting the conversation we had. We're answering in sharper terms what this person said. So that's the one thing that we can do with our mind. Consider what we should do. How much time do we spend doing that? I would say about 99.9% of our time is spent considering what we should do. Where's the trust in that? Where's the peace in that? Where's the love? Where's the contentment? How can we help anyone who's near us if we're considering what we should do? How can we be happy? 
The only other thing that we can do with our mind, beside considering what we should do, is remembering that we need do nothing. And it's a very interesting thing. When we remember that we need do nothing, the accelerator goes down and things start moving very, very quickly. It took me three to five years to write a book. My first four books took me three to five years to write each of them. Then I said, I'm not going to do anything anymore. I no longer have a job description. This was four years ago. My job description is simply that I will listen to God's direction this instant. I will practice that. No matter how many times I forget, I will come back to that over and over again. I will just do what God tells me to do this instant. I really thought I would never write another book. Do you know what happened? I wrote three books in a year and a half and two other books for other people. And I didn't even know I was doing it because I just say, well, okay, here I am. I'm writing and I'm not sure what this is for. This is very important. We tell ourselves what something is for. So God says, it's time to go to bed. And we say, I'm in bed to go to sleep. And then we have insomnia. <laughs> God didn't tell us that we were getting in bed to go to sleep. We tell ourselves that we're supposed to be writing. And we have writer's block because we aren't writing. Now the fourth point is one that's maybe a little less obvious. What you see becomes the healing and salvation of the world. <coughs> so by doing nothing, by being still, stillness is the mountain. Stillness is vision. Stillness allows our vision to pass beyond the way things appear and see Christ standing there, see love standing there. In an automobile accident, in cancer, in the death of a loved one, in financial bankruptcy, in growing older and older, and more and more feeble, Stillness allows our vision to pass beyond that appearance and see something else. All the arguments about whether God exists are so silly. Anyone who has seen beyond appearances stops arguing about that. How can you argue the presence that you feel every time you wake up and time and time again during the day? How can you argue this gentle, loving presence that says, do this, and you don't know why you've been told to do it, and you do it, and results are so lovely. And you begin singing this love song to him who is yourself, who is your strength. I am the whore said Jesus and the honored one. So seeing it heals. Just two more points that I see. There are probably 
thousand here. Practicing is our thanks. Our practicing today becomes our gift of thankfulness. What do we practice? Doing nothing. What do we remember? We remember that we need to do nothing. What effort do we make? We make the effort to step back. Not step forward. Not attack the problem. Step back. How do we teach? By resigning as our own teacher. That's the practicing. And so there are three things in this lesson that constitute this last instruction. Let not today slip by without the gifts it holds for you receiving your consent and your acceptance. We can change the world if you acknowledge them. You may not see the value your acceptance gives the world, but this you surely want you can exchange all suffering for joy this very day. And then hear this last three sentences. Practice in earnest and the gift is yours. Would God deceive you? Can his promise fail? And can you withhold so little when his hand holds out complete salvation to his son? So there are three things in this lesson that we are asked to do. The first is to let go. Open the curtain in your practicing by merely letting go all things you think you want. That's all we have to do. We just let go of the things we think we want. And what happens? Your trifling treasures put away and leave a clean and open space within your mind where Christ can come. That's all we have to do. That is our practicing. That's the way we pray. We simply lay aside all the things we think we want. The bigger patio, the new car, the body we're going to get at the spa. <laughs> the extra inch and a half that these shoes will give us. And on and on and on and on. The parking place nears the door. Just let go over and over and over again of all the things we think we want. How simple that is. And what happens when we do that? Stillness becomes the mountain. Our mind becomes clean of all these desires. A desire is simply the decision for depression this instant. That's all it is. We simply say to ourselves, I don't have it, I don't have it, I don't have it. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. That <laughs> doesn't affect anything. We, we don't have our hands on the future. So all we're doing is being miserable now. And so even though it sounds dishonest to ourselves, we know the truth and we just start saying the truth. It can be done verbally. I am content to be where I am. I am happy to be talking to this person. Whatever it may be that it surrounds us, we simply give our consent to that. We simply love it and bless it and allow ourselves to sink into this instant and be comfortable. 
So let go of the first one. Opening up is the second. And being still is the third. They're all the same, but they seem to come in that order. First we let go of the distress. We relax our mind just a little, as best we can. Then we become still. And in that stillness, something enters that we have never seen before. No matter how many times we've seen it before, it seems so new. And it feels so personal. It feels like this guardian who has always walked beside us, this friend we have always known, suddenly picks us up in his arms and carry us, carries us through the day. That's what it feels like. And we cannot wait to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now we don't have Lester. <laughs> and I know you think you can clap and sing at the same time. So we're going to do that for just a minute. And we're going to have the little session in which uh, if any of you would like to express your gratitude, please do so. So, I can't sing. That's why I got Lester. <laughs> but, um, I'm going to teach you a little song. This is a song they sing at the Atlanta Hillside Chapel and Truth Center, which is held in the great big tent. And, and the music never stops there. I'm hoping someday that if this church turns out to be a good idea, and if it continues, that maybe it will be like that. The music will never stop. You know what happens? The music begins. And then out come these two magnificent people. One is set a seven-foot-high woman, and the other one is about six-foot-ten. They're dressed in white. And you know what they're singing? You know what everyone's singing before they come out? God is already here. And the music just dies down as they start preaching, just in the background. Then it wells up again, and then it dies down for something else. Never stops. Songs change, the melodies change, and you are taken straight to heaven. So I'm going to teach you. <laughs> God is already here. And I'm going to prove to you, you can't clap and sing at the same time. Okay, so listen to this. Does anybody know what key people should sing when you have big... <laughs> Middle C? Somebody know that? Yeah. I don't even know where middle C is. I'm hoping someone would know that. All right, we'll just do this. We'll do this. All right, now listen. Now, first, I'll tell you the words. God is already here. I can feel his presence already here. All I have to do is open up my heart, for he's already here. I'm going to say it one more time. God is already here. 
I can feel his presence already here. All I have to do is open up my heart, for he's already here. Now say this with me. God is already here. I can feel his presence already here. All I have to do is open up my heart, for he's already here. All right, now I'm going to sing it to you. <laughs> God is already here. I can feel his presence already. I told, this is I told you I couldn't sing. I can feel his presence already here. All I have to do is open up my heart, for he's already here. Okay, now you got to join me. God is already here. I can feel his presence already here. All I have to do is open up my heart for he's already here. Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> All right, now, I'm going to teach you how to clap. I can clap. Ready? Um, I'm going to clap, and then you're going to have to clap like me. Okay, now we're going to start singing it. sing one other great hymn. <laughs> now this is a hymn that white people can do. <laughs> this may be the greatest hymn ever written. And it's sung by everybody in this country. Uh, sung by the little Hebrew boy going to school in the morning. Uh, the school kids going to basketball game, you sung it at day camp or summer camp or on a picnic, and it tells us everything that we need to know, summarizes everything that this lesson said. Row, row, row your boat. Gently. Down the stream. Now, row, row, row. Three rows, gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. There are four merrilies to only three rows. <laughs> you see, we said to God, we said, uh, I want to have a part in my salvation, meaning my happiness, meaning my comfort meaning my ability to heal and help people. And God said, very well, row your boat down the stream and row it very gently. Now tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Because <laughs> if you're rowing your boat down the stream and you're rowing it gently, 
how much rolling are you doing? <laughs> and that's really all we have to do. We just roll it down the string. We roll it gently. Merrily, 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 merrily. <laughs> well, we always are merrily. That's, you want to know when you're not merrily? It's when you're trying to roll. Too fast, not gently, or up the string. And then, that great metaphysical statement. <laughs> Life is but a dream. All this misery, all this carnage, all these children being killed, all these people alone and crying in their apartments, all these mothers whose children desert them, because we've got to live our own life now, Mom. Government sitting on their hands while people starve. It's but a dream. It's just a dream. It is a very cruel dream. And we indeed suffer from it. But because it is a dream, it can be healed instantly. All we have to do is just dream another dream. That's why looking beyond the appearance heals. That's why Jesus said, do you want to walk? Well, just stand up and walk. You want to see? Just open your eyes and you'll see. You want to help? You want to spend your life helping people and blessing people? <clears throat> reaching out a hand in love? My little boy said this to me recently. Gail and I uh, had decided not to pop him anymore because uh, we had we had popped him when he was about a year old. Then we noticed he was popping Tuba the cat. <laughs> then we realized why we had named her Tuba. He would pop Tuba and Tuba would Tuba and this was more. Now then there was one night in which he started popping Gail. And Gail started popping him back. And then he'd pop harder, and Gail pop harder, and suddenly we realized the insanity of this. And that is that we were just teaching that whoever's bigger gets to pop last. That's all he was learning. So that was when he was about a year old. He's two and a half now, and a few weeks ago, I'm quite sure he had no memory of ever having been struck, because we simply decided we would find another way. That's all that's necessary. There is a principle in... Atlanta, Georgia, who runs a school that services probably the worst area in the country, probably worse than Harlem and Bedford-Stuyvesant. It's this Atlanta, Southside area. His name's Norris Hogan. He's an ex-pro football player, and he has two PhDs. He looked at the school when he took it over, and it's as big as a college campus. There are thousands of high school kids there. And he said, if I kick a kid out of here, I sign his death warrant because he's going to be pushing. And if I kick a girl out, she's going to be hooking. Because by the age of 12 or 14, they're all doing that. They're all shooting up or selling drugs or hooking. Of course, many of the boys that 
were kidnapped or male prostitutes. You probably read that. So I'm not going to do that. I am not going to do it. I am never going to kick a child out of here. I am never going to transfer a child out of here to a school where he could be kicked out. I am never going to kick a girl out of here because she's pregnant. I'm not even going to have a detention class where I'm going to send them if I would have kicked them out. I'm not going to use my principal as a heavy. No corporal punishment of any kind. And when Jerry and I visited there and spoke there, he said, I want you to look around this office. You don't see any kids waiting to talk to me. Very few kids have to talk to me. The teachers handle it. And when we talk in this auditorium filled with thousands of these kids, I promise you this was the best behaved group of kids I had ever seen in my life. And the very next day, the president of Harvard and the president of Carnegie Foundation were coming to see how he was doing this. And he said, there's a constant stream of people coming in here. He said, that's just who's coming tomorrow. Because no one believed that if you didn't strike them, and if you didn't teach them <clears throat> lessons in fear, that they would behave. He said, look, do they behave? They certainly did. They behaved so well. He had encouraged them to, to talk to us during the question and answer period because they were just sending, you know, just sitting there uh, so uh, attentively. So all that's necessary is we make the commitment. Just make the commitment and it all falls into place. And that's what we did with John after we saw the insanity of the thing. We just said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to... We're not going to hit him. We're not going to yell at him and scare him into another form of behavior. We just aren't going to do it. We will find another way. We will do it through love. We don't know how, but we'll do it. Well, uh, two or three weeks ago, he uh, was saying, No, I won't. I forget what else. I was watching a television program. It was much more important than John. And... Um, I forget what it was, about three things. No, I won't. And I was watching this program. I forgot, I think he was, I think he had his fireman's hand. He goes, I think that was on him. Would you turn that off? No, I won't. Two and a half years old. I did one more thing without realizing I reached over and I popped it. You know what he did? He ran over and jumped in my lap and asked me to kiss it and make it well. <laughs> they don't care where you kiss them at that age. <laughs> That's the choice. That's the only choice. He was saying, Daddy, do you want in your life to remove pain or do you want to inflict it? simple the choice was. I couldn't do both. He said, you gave me pain. How would you like to take it away? So we've got to sing one verse of roll, roll, roll your bones. We'll have a <laughs> you ready? Ready. Roll, roll, roll your bones. 
gently down the street. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. <laughs> See, this church has everything. Okay, now, why don't we have a, a brief period in which anyone who wishes can express his gratitude for anything that's happened. And uh, I'll sit down, and if there's something that you want to say for this past year, the thanks that you feel, if you've seen God's presence, some person, some event, if you feel thankful, now might be the time to, uh, to express it. When I, I was raised a Christian scientist when I was a boy. My mother's side of the family were MDs. <coughs> and my mother's side of the family were Christian scientists. But uh, they both contributed to my upbringing. My mother taught me, she's sitting in the back row, she taught me 49 beers with the wrong woman. And I sang that from a very young age. <laughs> On all occasions. I was a big success at about five years old. And my dad made me go to Christian Science Sunday School. So for the early part of my life, I was a Christian scientist. And the most wonderful service of the year was Thanksgiving service, where people would stand up and they'd say how grateful they were to God and they'd tell their stories. And that was the one time of the year that the church would just overflow. So I'd, I'd like to have a period of that here. If anyone wants to say anything or express their thanks, why don't we do it now? 